Welcome to the WILF podcast. WILF stands for Women I Like to Follow. I am one of your hosts, Amy. I'm the other host, Tess. Maybe you're new to us. Yeah. Maybe you found us through my brand new website. Ooh, what's that called? Getting tons of traffic. Yeah. A whole, like double digits of people um it's called crookedhome.com and that's the spot for your crafts your storytelling my comedy Mm. future future projects yeah big creative jump start there i'm branding i'm being a grown-up with a with a place you can go to find what i do Mm. and if you're wondering why we do this it's because Amy and I, we like to talk about these ladies on Instagram. Yeah. And it seems like other people are also interested in them. Yeah. We find them fascinating, inspiring, confusing, amusing. Strange. Yeah. Um, and we want to talk about it all. It's been a little bit mm-hmm. since we've uh, since we've talked. Yes. Yeah, sorry um, we got off our rhythm. But you know what? We're living our life. Yeah. And as Oprah might ask, are you living your best life, Amy? Oh, Boy, <laughs> I'm going to say no. Okay, say more. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm not living my worst life, <laughs> and, and I'm living a better life than I used to live, mm. but not my best life, which is good because I feel I'm building my best life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the more you say it, the less it means. Right. That's true about a lot of things that Wilf and Oprah say. And, and Oprah says. What I know for sure yeah. is that I had an aha moment. Just now. Just now. Uh, no, I... So one reason I built this website is because this past week I was part of a craft fair for the first time. Snap, snaps. Thank you. I made a booth and I displayed all of these projects that I've been working on for over a year, just whenever we're watching TV in the apartment, embroidery, needle felting. And it felt good to present my work f- to the public as something of value. It is odd to ask people to pay you something, pay you for what you do for yourself. Mm-hmm. But it also is good to look at what you've done and say, this is this is something of value and something that could be meaningful to someone else. And so that's a way in which I'm like, I have actualized just in the past week, um, the first, st- a first step in actualizing mm-hmm. a part of my artistic life. Um, and I feel very busy right now with a lot of, um, a lot of growth work that is meaningful to me. And I don't mean that in the abstract of doing the work. I mean, literally, I'm in a class. I'm doing a lot of homework and reading well, and writing. literal growth would mean your height is rising. Right. No, I don't think that is true. It's possible that my gene size is rising. <laughs> But I ignore when my, my jeans rip, and I decide oh. they still fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the yes, and I feel like I'm I'm a very much a sponge right now for ideas, and I'm going after a lot of different things. But as far as living my best life, I think that will be when I have a home that I love. When the majority of my time is doing work that I care about, not work that 
uh, right now the majority of my time is work that I am completely Mm -hmm. disengaged from. (laughs) (laughs) And I think also when I have um, built what feels to me like my my family unit, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that is a marriage partner, a child I care for, a small community of people I intend to spend a great number of years with. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be my best life, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I am living my best life because there is there is no other life. Oof. <laughs> well, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this question made me, made me laugh because I went to the dentist this week and the I, I go every six months and the dentist comes in at the end of the checkup for a minute and she the one i've seen the last couple of years is so effing <laughs> I just... bedside manner forward <laughs> she comes in and of course you can only see the top half of her face because she's got a mask on and she just comes and goes oh tess are you living your best life and i'm like what if i wasn't what if i was having a terrible time and i find myself like and she's always like, oh, it says here you do improv. What's that like? And she goes on and on about how comedy is so important. And um, she's extremely friendly, but with no, nothing not superficial. Nothing fishel. <laughs> nothing subficial. And um, I understand why she's doing it. I don't blame her. I would probably do some variation of that if I was in her position. But mm-hmm. I, I find myself just smiling and looking like I am on the same level as her but really it, mostly I'm like what it's is it some sort of like weird like sadism that's like no one's living their best yeah. life in the dentist chair <laughs> like I taunt you because yeah. I know that this is the moment yeah. that you just have to yeah, do yeah nobody is elegant in the dentist chair mouth no. agape very I won't say no one is actualized in the dentist chair <laughs> I know for some people Dental work is a very important step. Yes. There's a whole queer eye that gets yes. into that. Oh, I forgot it's about beautiful. that. It's beautiful. But I would say for most people, that is not where their transformation yeah. into the person they want to be happens. Yeah. I will say that I have been going to the same des- dentist since before I had teeth, mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of. And I feel like I should get a plaque. Uh, like a... Not a plaque, but I made that same joke to them like last year. Um, maybe I'll just make it for myself. But anyway, my life is, it, yeah, it, I, I think I can't think beyond the now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have gone through phases, including contemporarily, where I think of how I'm not living in ways that would be so enriching to me. For example, I want more plants in my environment, and hopefully the next place we move into will have plants. Um, and I could get that now, but I am putting it off until that next step. Um, I am living a... Uh, yeah, I, I'm as close as I can be now, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I think I would say something similar yeah. that, like, I'm, I'm, I have made the best choices I know mm-hmm. how to make to this point, and I feel okay about it. Yeah, I think you can... It is possible to hold in one hand the idea of, I have dreams and wishes... And hopes for the future and Mm -hmm. some shame about choices I make now. And I am whole, perfect, and complete as I am. Well, sure, but that's not what (laughs) Oprah means. I mean, it might be. She might say exactly that. But I think she means, you know, 
are you gardening? Is, I think, the, right. the thrust of am what I, she means. Am I wearing a caftan? Yeah. Do well, I know what a caftan is? No. <laughs> is it a shawl? Is a it like caftan? An, is it like is, an afghan? It's sort of a tunic. Is it a f- open in the front? It yes. flows, right? It's a flowing garment? I felt I knew until you started <laughs> questioning me. That's what happens with a lot of Oprah-related things. <laughs> you think, I know what an espadrille is, and then you don't. <laughs> I thought I understood Eckhart Tolle until I saw them sitting on a in a living room set in the woods on a Super Soul Sundays interview that always plays at the gym on Sunday mornings. Uh, well, um, that's nice. Anyway, we would like to give a shout out to uh, the, a listener, a listener who is indicated on Instagram that she's been listening to us, and we don't know who she is. She is a total stranger. Her name is Emma. She lives in the UK. And that blows our minds. Yeah. It's she, really great. She commented saying, oh, I'm loving this podcast. And we said, how? And she <laughs> said, I don't know. I searched on on the podcast for Glennon and it came up. And I was like, truly. Search engine optimization right there. <laughs> yeah. I, so thank you, Emma. That yeah. You don't know how much that made our day. We yeah. texted about it. Like, did you see? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was very, it felt, it did a very small but momentous thing of like, oh, our little project is going beyond us. Yeah. Um, and it may be, um, uh, uh, yeah. If, if there's others out there, let us know if you wish. We, we appreciate knowing that uh, our, our best lives include you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, little family. Also, if you're people we already know. You can Shut tell the us. hell up. Oh, no, please no, do can, tell us. You, yeah, because we, we, we like yeah. attention and praise. Yeah. And also how, <laughs> how this has helped or infuriated you. Oh, yeah. Um, you can contact Tess with how it has infuriated you <laughs> and reach out to me and how it has healed all your broken places. It is a shared account. <laughs> okay. So last time on this podcast, we spoke about an upcoming event the Me and White Supremacy book talk by Leila Saad in mid-January. And guess what? What? That day has come and gone, and we followed through. We We went. (laughs) We followed us, women. Uh. Um, Yes, we we went to Germantown Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia and saw Leila speak to... It was a cold, wet day. And it was a packed house. I'd say 150, 200 people. Yeah. 90% white? Very bad at judging numbers and crowds. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I think, <laughs> That's important. <laughs> yeah. I would I, I would estimate that it was mostly white, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense. Um, and uh, we sat in the second row. Yep. We were right up there. Yep. She, uh, I think we both had our little notepads out and our first note was, I saw, I looked over Tessa's shoulder right after I wrote my note and we both wrote about her very nice outfit. Right. It's a lovely sweater and a sparkly green skirt. Mm-hmm. White ankle booties. And I realize it's it's something of note that the first thing we comment on is her appearance. True. And I think that Wilfs are attentive to aesthetics. Yes. And she has said a number of... T- like, she posts outfits of the day. Mm-hmm. She's proud of it. I think it's a part of her way of showing up in the world in her best life. Yeah, I'm not sure I would have noticed it if it weren't. A thing. Like, it's a thing to go and see Glennon, and she's wearing 
poofy, sparkly pants. Yes. Like, those were... A statement. Those were a strong choice. The statement is, I care about all parts of myself. Right. Yes. And, um, um, yes. And while Layla's was not such a, a loud and outrageous mm -hmm. choice as the sparkly pants, it was specific and lovely. Yes. Very much so. As was the rest of her presentation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... It, uh, she was interviewed by a professor uh, at Temple, from mm-hmm. Temple. A white woman who is a professor in religious studies yes. and history. And it sounds like she had done the 28-day... Uh, Me and White Supremacy yes. work book. At least once. Maybe even twice. Maybe. Um, and so it was, a, it was a question and answer from the moderator to her. And mm-hmm. she, was, she was polished. She was direct she used great metaphors she had drops of humor she was classic wolf yeah i mean i the dis, uh, of course this is her area of expertise she has spent years talking about it online and has spent months and months writing this book and pr- promoting it this is her first promotion for it in america mm-hmm. but i'm sure not her first event but I was impressed because it's such a hard thing to talk about in public, in front of a group of people, especially a mixed race, mixed age, mm-hmm. group of people, mixed nationality. And sh- everything she said, it was not... It's a sensitive topic, obviously, to talk about white supremacy to white people mm-hmm. and to say, uh, hey, there's some things to examine mm-hmm. and it's your turn. <laughs> Yeah. And she, I mean, we're, we're prepped to accept what she's saying. We're primed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spoke with somebody else I know who went, and he was a bit confused about why he was an older, an older white man, and he was confused about why it was, on, like, kind of the whole thing. He hasn't followed this aspect of social justice as we have. Right. It's influenced so much by personal uh, sharings on social media. Right, right. He's not tapped into how people talk about this online he's tapped into how people talked about this during the the civil rights movement (laughs) yeah Yeah, which is meaningful and important but very different very much so so we each Um, wrote down lots of lots of notes one thing i didn't know was sort of what kicked her into writing this or to initially doing the 28 day challenge and uh, the brief synopsis of that is that she saw what happened in Charlottesville in 2017 when the Nazis had a march mm-hmm. about the statue of Robert E. Lee. It was horrific. And um, the next day, someone died because they were hit by a car in the counter protest. Um, and so it was very much uh, that she didn't she felt called to address white supremacy when she saw it becoming more and more, um, I guess, audacious. Yeah. She had worked as a business and life, life and business coach, Mm -hmm. um, certainly setting herself up as a wolf. Um, and she, she wrote a blog post called, I need to speak to spiritual white women. I don't know if that's the exact title, but it's similar to that. (laughs) Yes. And she actually, uh, very, uh, uh, very similar to how we have talked about the difference between wolves and other spiritual white women. Love and light. Um, that uh, spiritual white women uh, have the mask of spirituality, but not the practice. And, and not all 
women, white women who are spiritual. She's talking about the love and light mask that people put on the social only, media. I, I don't actually follow any of those women. No. They are related to Gwyneth Paltrow, but yeah. but I don't think she's one. I don't know. It, she, but it's, She's I got see, other stuff happening, yeah. kind of. I see, I see, and I... Yeah, I, I know. What I'm you're aware talking. of it. Yeah, uh, I've been to the shops that yeah, I've seen peddle the that. <laughs> um, yes, but I, I thought that was a very good way to that the mask, but not the practice mm-hmm. of of actually loving people and being a light in their life mm-hmm. uh, and a light in the world. And also, that it can't you cannot make change just with love and light. You must look at the darkness. You must oh yes. address hate. You must grieve the changing world around you. Yes, it is not all simple pleasures and cookie dough. Yeah, or, uh, or baths and... Scented being... candles? Yes. That being said, I love cookie dough, baths, and scented candles. This is not to say that those things don't matter. Just more things matter than those things. <laughs> Do you like candles that smell like cookie dough? Have you ever no. that? Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not, a, I'm not a vanilla candle bitch. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but, oh, the other thing I wanted to point out about her is that she was very, um, I mean, she, she presents, she's very visibly Muslim mm-hmm. because she wears a uh, headscarf. I would say though, not visibly. Cause I would, cause it's not a, it doesn't cover her neck. Mm. I've seen other, uh, uh, black American women wearing. Head- Just headscarf. Yeah. Uh, I guess I say that because I have never seen her without one. Right. When, the, when you, when it, when yeah, you follow her and also because she speaks about it often. Mm-hmm. And so she introduced herself as Muslim. She brought it up several times throughout speaking. Mm-hmm. And the, the point that really stuck out to me and also to, in my mind, like I was like, Oh, she and Elizabeth Gilbert share this is that she said, um, that she did not have the idea for this book. God gave her this, the idea for this book. I wrote down that exact note as well. <laughs> and she said yes. Right. That this that the inspiration ideas, they live outside of us. Yes. She calls it God. Yes. Um, and it it asks her yes. to step up. Um, yes. And she does the work. Um, and that work has changed over time. It used to be a lot more blogging and interacting directly with people mm-hmm. than it was posting these 28 days in a row uh, journal prompts and, um, yeah, prompts last year. Mm-hmm. And then she realized that she, she wasn't able to keep having these conversations, that to increase the reach of this work, that she would write this book so that other people could do it in the privacy of their own home and, and speak about it within their networks. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, I have this quote written down, which is, this is, it's a part of the tricky topic of talking about race, especially asking white people to address race and white supremacy and how it lives in them is a lot of feeling like, oh, this woman thinks I'm a bad person because Mm -hmm. I am white. And she said, it isn't about good or bad. It's about truthfully acknowledging your reality and the effect that it has on other people. Right. You will impact people regardless. Mm-hmm. So choose how it's going to happen. Yes. And I think I think she did a great job of, of being unflinching, mm-hmm. like not, not really giving an inch mm-hmm. about that this is necessary and important and... Um, 
work that must be done by white people, but but without a, a f- desire to shame and belittle mm-hmm. white people. Um, that she had uh, an incredible insight into what this work, how this work would make white people feel. Mm-hmm. That I found a, a huge testament to her empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And also probably the very exhausting repeated conversations she has had to have with the white people around her and online who Mm -hmm. have given her feedback about her work. Given her feedback, yes. Um, And so she brought up the idea of of burnout and how uh, she has a mentor. She mentioned she has a mentor, Mm -hmm. which I thought was very cool, a very Wilf thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And that mentor had kind of coached her through the idea of uh, work uh, becomes enriching if you choose to do, if you do what it is you choose to do. So somebody could look at the work she does and be like, that must be exhausting to constantly be be talking about your ideas and responding to all the negativity and the questions and the skepticism, which is also racist and all this stuff. Um, but she chooses to do it. She mm-hmm. chooses this work deliberately. She has strict boundaries about yes. how much she's willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is part of this book as well. She's like, I don't want to be doing it all the time. Here's the book. Do it yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and I just, because we talked about it, I'm just going to read a sample prompt. Sure. Um, this uh, day nine, you and anti-blackness against black women. Uh, She describes what anti-blackness against black women is. And then these are the questions, sample questions. Um, She gives examples, blah, blah, blah. Think about the country you live in. What are some of the national racial stereotypes spoken and unspoken, historic and modern, associated with black women? How have you expected black women to serve or soothe you? How have you excluded, discounted, and so on, or projected your white fragility and white superiority onto black women? So that's an example. And then there's the next chapter, the next day is about anti-blackness and black men so i think yeah it uh and it i think all of those questions require a lot of like okay i'm gonna sit and i'm gonna really Mm -hmm. think and i'm gonna like write down the first thought and the second thought Mm -hmm. wait and write write down those thoughts that don't i keep editing out yes yeah which is hard and usually for me requires sitting and writing for a while Mm -hmm. for me to become conscious of the thing that I keep pushing aside yeah she she posted in a recent post about um how important it is when you recognize unconscious racial bias to counter it with conscious changing of that thought right to Um, to rewrite the sentence in your mind to something unracist that's right and think it through. Yes. Say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> not, maybe Can you not imagine too. just a white person walking down the street and just going, he wasn't just articulate. He was speaking his mind. <laughs> I don't need to compare him to other people. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, also, I do, uh, because you mentioned black women, one thing she said uh, that, for her in this work, integrity means believing people of color. Yes. And I, yeah, I love that every time I see it. And most especially listening to black women. Yep. Uh, and also she, a big part of this book or at, at least a chapter in this book is about, uh, white feminism, mm-hmm. which, which is, when the topic came up, when she mentioned it, 
Yes, the, I the, must the, say. <laughs> there was a white man next to us, maybe a few years older than us. Yeah, mid-30s. Yeah. He was fired up he, about white feminism. He hates white oh, feminism. He was, like, <laughs> rocking back and forth, like, jotting furious notes. So, like, scribbling yeah. so hard in I mean, his journal, snapping and snapping and, like, audibly, like, mm-hmm, yeah. yes. Yes. I will say... <laughs> That while I want that man to understand, and also to clarify, if any of our listeners are unfamiliar with what we mean by white feminism, we do not mean white women that are feminists. Right. It is a specific branch of feminism, or or not even branch, it is a... It is a, 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 free, a common foible of feminism, a pitfall that feminists Has been can, the default for years. That assumes that white women don't have a race mm-hmm. and are the default. Mm-hmm. And that uh, black women speaking up about issues that are specific to black women need to wait. Yes. That they're bringing race into it. Yes. Uh, And when in fact, uh, real feminism means all women. Right. And femme identifying people. Yes. Uh, And wanting equality. Right. And that you cannot ask somebody like a black woman to cut off part of herself in order to fit into a movement. Yes. That that was a very Mm -hmm. powerful moment when she right. was explaining like, like you I, are asking me to sever part of right. my identity when i walk into a room i am black i'm a woman i'm all of these things i cannot separate you cannot leave she cannot leave her blackness at right. the door and so he is rocking back and forth loving it just amening till the cows come home and i <laughs> i wanted him to stop <laughs> i will he, he was, in general, enthusiastic and obviously engaged and responsive yeah. throughout, but it kicked up, it went from, I'd say, a 6 <laughs> to an 11 when it ke- became about white feminism, and I was so confused, mm-hmm. what, because everything she had been talking about the entire time was equally but, important. Right. Uh, maybe perhaps he had just had a fiery conversation mm-hmm. with somebody where he was explaining it and they didn't believe it or didn't care about it. And he was maybe. like, I was just talking it about it. It was also interesting because he was alone. Yes. Which is also great totally. for a, a young white man to go to this event uh, by himself. That's great. But it felt so much... I was like... I. To me, it's an issue that affects everyone, but to me it feels like when someone brings up white feminism, that's a message to white women. That's Mm -hmm. like, hey, don't do this. This is an easy pitfall for you. This Mm -hmm. is a way to enact white supremacy and still feel like you are being righteous. I think there, I mean, we should acknowledge that there are white feminists who are not white or female. Like, I haven't thought about it much, but I think there could be male feminists who dismiss the issues of race oh certainly um anyway he was a lot (laughs) he was a lot and i i I, it felt uncomfortable (laughs) it felt very uncomfortable um other things i wrote down um she talked about how uh you cannot recommend this book to another white person if you have not done it yourself yes which we are kind of doing because we still have not done it oh yeah and we need to talk about that so it came up like during the event, like, sh- how should we prioritize this work, yes. this book, in the midst of everything else? All the other work we're doing. And and all of the other demands of life. And it was sort of the, the 
response was because you must because Mm -hmm. it is urgent um to become anti-racist because people's lives Mm -hmm. livelihoods and well-being is at stake Mm -hmm. um and because you don't want to be racist right uh i have not done it Um, nor have i uh i wonder if i am avoiding i i blame it on time Mm -hmm. um uh, and she has said you don't need to do it 28 days in a row. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be consecutive. You can do it extended over however much time. So maybe I'll just, you know, I have a day off tomorrow. Maybe I'll do one. Yeah. The first one. See what it's like. Yes. Yeah. I I think I'm being slightly avoidant because it was a very intense event. It was inspiring. It was, uh, it was. Moving. Moving. I was really happy I was there, and I felt really wrung out for the rest of the day and kind of embarrassed and raw. Mm-hmm. And and that's an important thing she said. She said is like the difference between shame and guilt. Classic and, Brene Brown as well. And humility. Shame is paralyzing. Shame, you sit in it and you don't make anything better. You just feel bad. Mm-hmm. Guilt and humility are uncomfortable feelings that inspire change and growth and so it's okay to feel some guilt it's necessary to be humble right she also said anti-racism is not a 28-day journey it's a lifetime and that oh there was another thing i liked um uh never mind i think for me why i haven't done it yet is a little bit of fear of like really of of awakening that uncomfortable, sort of shameful feeling mm-hmm. and not being able to turn it off again. Right. Not being able to go to sleep and wake up the next morning and not be like, oh, no, I'm white. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Again? <laughs> um, she uh, also pointed out that racism is not a binary. You're not yeah. either racist or anti-racist. It is a spectrum. I think it's even, it deserves a different metaphor from that as well. Yeah, that it's, um, or it's a process. What is you, what, what is it you say, uh, all the time about you where it's a developmental. It's a developmental process. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, uh, and development is not linear Mm -mm. that you do what you're able to given your, your existing development. You cannot, um, jump beyond what you're able to do right now. So. I would say that is maybe the uncomfortable, honest reason is my fear. The more practical and also very real reason is that I, um, I'm very overwhelmed right now with other work and reading, and it's hard when I'm spending a lot of time in class reading about witch persecution <laughs> to spend my time off reading about uh, modern race racial persecution. <laughs> I usually want to spend that time reading a, rom- a romance novel or watching TV. I say this not as a as a judgment, but it's almost a metaphor for white feminism that you're reading about yeah. white women being persecuted 400 years ago. Yes. <laughs> um, also, men and people of color. Yes, but yes, that is true. It is primarily European and white women. Yes. Um, um, so we will. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it tomorrow. I think because I do have That's time. Great. Yeah, I'm going to try it soon. Okay. We will see. All right. And we will check back in. We may not talk really explicitly about what we get into with it, mm-hmm. 
But we will definitely continue to talk about this book. Yes. All right. Moving to our... uh, Instagram. That's right. Um, uh, Glennon. Mm Mm-hmm. Been posting. Her book seems to be out. Or the Untamed? Pre- no, yeah. it's it. Uh, All these Feb- celebrities are posting about it. Oh, they're ARCs, advanced the, reader copies. Uh, advanced reader copies. Uh, okay. uh, because the book itself comes out February, I think twenty first. Oh, okay. I could be confusing that with one of the romance novels I'm waiting for. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but on February fifth. Uh, the celebrities were just like us. Yes, how so? Glennon posted a photo of herself on her yoga mat in front of the television, and she has her legs spread, and she is... It's called doing a straddle split. She's doing a straddle split, (laughs) touching her toes. It's not an actual split. Yeah, that's true. It's a stretch. Um, uh, And on the television is a brick building... (laughs) And a It's caption. a screenshot from the Netflix show Cheer. I wanted to say it says 11 days until Daytona. Which is, I wanted to see if people knew what I was talking about. I couldn't wait. So this, she is watching a Netflix show called Cheer, which Amy and I furiously watched last week. Six episode mini documentary series that was captivating. It was so Engrossing. I had entire nights filled with dreams about it. <laughs> and all day I just thought, what are they doing? How are they doing? Yes. The caption is, I stretch while I watch just in case Monica needs me on the mat. These kids, this coach, have mercy. The sports are so beautiful. Jerry and Morgan for president. Hashtag cheer. So uh, if you haven't watched cheer, turn this off. Go watch get, it right get now. out of Be here. a part of the American Pull experience. Over. Um, Cheer, yes, it's a six-episode docu-series on Netflix. It follows the Navarro College, Junior College, Cheer Squad. 2018 to 2019 season. Uh, and their journey to Daytona, to Tona. <laughs> to the National Cheer Competition. Uh, so they are basically the best college cheer squad yeah. in the nation, cheer team in the nation. Uh, but they do not get there on luck. And they and it's it's very impressive because they're a junior college. They're in a town in Texas called Corsicana. Corsicana. Oh my God. Oh, I'm ta- I'm just transported back. Anyway, so we we loved this. We won't give it away, but there is blood. There is sweat. There is tears. There are concussions. There is tension. There is redemption. There are are really really. Uh, powerful life stories. Oh my god, there is there are adults helping young people, young people helping each other. So what do we think Glennon experiences watching this show? The exact same thing we did. <laughs> Maybe more so because she's married to a former professional athlete. I don't, yeah, Glennon is someone to me who seems like she would have been a cheerleader, but I don't know that she was. No, I think she would. She would have been too... Uh, well, I think she partied in high school. Yeah. Well, these kids do too, but I, but she doesn't seem to. I, I think she had a hard time feeling a part of groups. But now I think of her as being a cheerleader. Yeah, for she women, has for that her energy. family, yeah, for the world. Um, the yeah, and she is a very like fit, strong person. She would be a great flyer. Oh yeah, great, top perfect girl. flyer. Um, the yeah, the whole 
thing about cheer, I think, is that it's it's always amazing to get invested in an athletic journey to see the way people put their whole selves and their whole bodies into this pursuit. Mm-hmm. But also this thing that is, I don't know, sort of stereotypically considered very frivolous. Yeah. Very toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, very feminine. Very feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When it, it is... And this... I don't think that the documentary really negates all of that. Right. But it does make it more complicated yes, and interesting. Yes, story. <laughs> and the coach... Monica. How would you describe her, Amy? Oh, God. She has the straightest hair. Oh, um, <laughs> the crispest blouses. <laughs> and as I said one night while watching... Monica is a complicated figure in American history. We will we'll, uh, end our analysis there. We will hold off on discussing her <clears throat> yes. for a future episode about women on TV. Yes. we to Just to, to tease you listeners, <laughs> to whet your appetites, uh, we have been talking about gathering some women on TV who are specifically in uh, positions of power mm. who... People, someone in on the show is following. Yeah. Are they wilfs? Right. In what ways do they reflect wilfdom? Are we following them? That sort of thing. Also, before we... I want to make my pitch when we were discussing this. You said Shrill, which is another mm-hmm. show that we've been watching, which is about Lindy West, who we have said yes, is a wilf. That is true. I'm not sure the character Annie in the show Shrill who is the Lindy West character, mm-hmm. is a wolf yet. To be discussed in the future. Okay. I'll hold my tongue. All right. <laughs> I thought we were getting into it today, but that's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so, Glennon, we're with you. It looks about 25 days until your book comes out. Looking forward Can't to wait. it. Can't wait. Want to know how you and Abby met and fell in love. Oh, my God. The really? moment when they kissed. Is she going to describe the sex? I think that might be too intimate. Perhaps. I don't I need would, that from her. I want to hear her her early uh, encounters with lesbianism. If she mm-hmm. had any, what were her? Did she have any preconceived biases or notions? Yes. I don't, yeah, I don't need to know or expect to know what their sexual relationship is like. I mostly want to know what the magnetism between yes, them is the like. the magnetism. I also want to know, of course, about the final, like what it was like for her to... Uh, go on this tour, be done with the tour about her last book, about getting her marriage back on track, and then <laughs> announcing they were divorcing. I and, want to know about that. Yeah. And once she was released from it. Yes. Um, checking in with another Wilf, Ms. Mm-hmm. Cheryl Strayed of Wild Fame. Um, she was interviewed for the By the Book column for the New York Times Sunday Book Review, which is one of my favorite sections. This interview um they do it with an author each week and they ask them about their book habits and their book organizing and i love i love reading about anybody's habits Mm -hmm. um and so of course i was excited to read this she reads um a lot of books by women of course um uh one of the questions is what book should everybody read before the age of 21 and she says i don't believe in should when it comes to reading except to say that reading should be driven by curiosity and pleasure rather than obligation or obedience. I meet so many people who tell me they hate to read, but they loved wild. And I always say, but that means you don't hate to read. You love to read. And I liked that idea. Yeah. That that reading should not be a chore. 
Mm-hmm. If it is, then you're not reading the right things. Mm-hmm. That certainly comes up a lot in self-directed education. I think also uh, to... I th- the first time I saw Wild, I did not read it, but it was at the bookstore where I worked, where I felt a great need to read books that would be impressive to people mm. so that I could recommend them. Like what? Um... I felt like I maybe should have read Wild. There was this book like Chicken and Bone and something and Blood, something. Um, <laughs> there were I I didn't read them. That's the point. I can't tell you what books because <laughs> I didn't read them because I just felt a constant sort of dread that I should have I should be better read so that I could mm. recommend books better and so that I could. Uh, because people expected me to be because I was working there and because the book buyer would ask me what what advanced reader copies I had read and mm. what he should order. Was it expected that you would read advanced reader copies? Yes. Oh god, I want that job. It's great. It's great to ha- to go through a box of advanced reader copies and look for things that are interesting to you, but I didn't feel I could really recommend that we buy the things that were interesting to me because I didn't feel that my taste mm. was of interest to the bookstore. I wonder if there's other customers out there who do match your taste but didn't know because they've also not. Also, I think if I had been older and was not fresh out of college, I could have just chosen what I liked. Yeah, you would have curated the hell out of that romance section. Yeah, I could have said it with a little more confidence and self-possession. But when you're right out of college and you have no... no, self-esteem about your own taste (laughs) yeah yeah i think i've come into that in the last couple years uh another one of the questions are any books guilty pleasures for you and she writes there is nothing about pleasure that makes me feel guilty (laughs) (laughs) classic wolf statement uh very romance novel relevant yes felt very a lot of kinship with this interview because she mentions um six or seven different memoirs she's read recently that have Mm -hmm. captured her and i i love memoirs my primary genre um so i i love that um she describes her book as basically a series of rooms that are libraries, including the kitchen. Because um, they always ask about, like, how do you organize your books? Um, how do you organize your books, Amy? Ah, great question. Uh, alphabetically by author. Really? <laughs> yeah. But how come all your romance novels are on the top? Great question, because oh, that, that shelf, shelf is shorter, <laughs> and romance novels are shorter, <laughs> and so only romance novels will fit on those shelves. But the romance novels, when I have my act together, are alphabetically alphabetized by author i i have in the past genretized mm-hmm. i have had a shelf of um sort of fun books and then sort of serious or academic books mm-hmm. i've had poetry books in one section memoirs in one section i've tried different yeah. things um i think once i have a um i have thought once I have a whole wall that's a bookshelf one day, that I will um, break it down by the kind of experience you're looking for. Oh, until like what? Well, like romance novel would be mm-hmm. like, do you want entertainment, escapism, mm-hmm. and Is that different from emotionality? Genre, separating by genre? It would be similar to separating by genre. It would, But it would maybe break it down a little bit more. Like, do you want to be inspired that might be a mix of self-help books and memoirs Mm, yeah do you want to um uh do you want to research Ah, and it would be like yeah books that were 
about I had used to study something mm-hmm. or another. Um, and I need to flesh that out more, but I think about it sometimes. Yeah. Or what about you? Um, I don't have... Uh, I think that I don't have many books, and then I look around and I realize I have several piles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't keep many books. Uh, these days, I think it's organized by um, have read and chosen to keep and to be read. Yes, you have a great to be read shelf. Yes. I look at it lovingly each day. Um, <laughs> that I built myself. Yes. Um, and uh, I feel like we already did this, but I shout out to our friend Tara, who recently organized her bookshelf based on color, and it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. Yes. I don't have nearly as many books as you do, Tara. Um, <laughs> um, yes. yes. I, I love hearing about book habits. Tell us yours. <laughs> yeah. Take a picture of your bookshelf. Yeah, I and let us see how right it's next, organized. Right next to my bed, I have a series of books that are um, uh, not narratives. So one is mm-hmm. called Women's Glib, which mm-hmm. is a series of, of mm-hmm. comedy writing written by women. And then Jenny Slate's book, Little Weirds, which you gave to me, which is yeah. short essays. Also, this is maybe too inside my own head baseball. Uh, but... When I said break down by the experience you want, I sort of thought break down by my weird little personal list of virtues, oh. which is um, <laughs> sincerity, usefulness, curiosity, playfulness. Oh, if there was a K, that would spell suck. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> suck. Use, is it useful? Is it sincere? Is it curious? Is it playful? Mm. Um, are sort of how I measure Cusp. things values. That's the acronym. Um, and... There's another one that I'm forgetting, but I think in that case, you could break down, like, curiosity books would be sort of research books. Yeah. Playful books would maybe be romance novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, sincerity would be personal stories. Mm. Useful would be how-tos. Cookbooks. Workbooks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Gotta get my list of virtues. I know. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. fun to do. Mm-hmm. And it's slow growing. I started with usefulness. Um, is it specific to books or is this to all things? This is to all things. Oh, wow. Uh, Put that in my brain bucket. <laughs> yeah. It, sometime in college, I was like, well, if it's not useful, why do I care? Yeah. Um, true. And I, to me, usefulness has a wide definition. Pleasure is useful. <laughs> yeah. If it provides pleasure, it's useful. Um, uh, all right. Moving on to a, a new Wilf-esque thing yes uh so we have a recommendation of something that has taken over my life in the past week last week it was cheer and this week it was the feminist survival project we are at the whims of female-centered media i truly we are easy to advertise to (laughs) (laughs) so um there is a wonderful podcast called the feminist survival project that has an episode a week. They're about half an hour each. It is hosted by two twin women. Twin women. Twimmen. Um, I don't think that's a phrase I've ever said before. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. And Emily Nagoski is someone who we've both admired mm-hmm. for a while since we heard her on a different podcast mm-hmm. appearance and looked into her book, Come As You Are. Which is a, a workbook and book about um, exploring uh, feminine, ple- female pleasure. Yeah, female pleasure and sexuality. It can be all people's yeah. uh, uh, pleasure and sexuality, but it helps go through uh, 
it, it helps make these things conscious and it has the great quote in the first chapter uh-huh. about how you should not call the vulva the vagina because it's like calling a face the throat <laughs> uh it's true it's very clarifying about yeah. many things and very fun and well-written. And so I admired Emily Nagatsky anyway. I heard this podcast recommended. I listened to an episode. I was like, this is great. You texted me furiously. And then I figured out, she mentioned that one of the ways she de-stresses is writing romance novels. And I was like, oh my goodness, what romance novels does she write? Figured out she writes romance novels under the name Emily Foster. And the two book series that she wrote is are my favorite books I read last year. Wow. It's amazing. What are they called? They are called uh, How Not to Fall and How Not to Let Go. Mm-hmm. They're not standard romance novels. Ooh. They're good. Um, but they are romance novels and very good ones. And then you wrote her an email. I did. I wrote her an email thanking her for her work. And she responded. How and nice. Says, Classic well. Yeah, how Responding nice. quickly to an audience. <laughs> um, yes, we, I believe... These women might be wilfs. I don't know much about their personal lives. They do have, or at least Emily Nagaski has a oh, okay. Instagram presence, which we can dip our toes into. Mm-hmm. But besides that... What did you like about the podcast? To recommend the podcast. And you've listened to two episodes. I did. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I learned a lot. The, uh, the concept of the podcast is that it's sort of a broken down version of a book that these two sisters wrote together called uh, Burnout uh, that is a a book about women and feminists uh, becoming overwhelmed with stress and burning out because of uh, the <laughs> they have they have written it and worked with it so long that they're able to spiel off all of these things that I can't quite recall so quickly, but it's like patriarchal, uh, cis heteronormative industrial post industrial capitalism. White, yeah, white supremacist is also in oh, there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, but it is so. It's a balance between what they have clearly researched and written a lot about, and have really refined how they talk about, and then casually and familiarly sharing their personal stories that are relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really useful. And yeah. if we're uh, breaking it down by my, my virtues, I would say it's all of them. It is Certainly. Uh, useful, sincere, curious, and playful. Totally. Uh, that they talk about what stresses women out, but also how we hold stress in our bodies. Separating the stress and the stressor. And how to complete uh, the stress response cycle and move through it so you're no, no longer holding stress in your body. Uh, what it feels like to always feel the need to give to others, to always be calm, pretty, and generous. <laughs> <laughs> the worst the worst virtues. Um, <laughs> uh, and what happened, the kind of... Um, mental anguish that comes from the chasm between what you are expected to be and who you actually are, which everyone universally has that chasm, Mm -hmm. but uh, the ways in which we ignore it and make it worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot of really great stuff. Very educational and not, it's not love and light. It's not, it's a, it's also, yeah, it's also not do the work in the space. (laughs) Which is, 
yeah. And vague and useless. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of lists of things to do to combat stress. Mm-hmm. Yep. Things to do to resist patriarchal expectations. Yes. Yes. Uh, I look forward to listening to more of it. Yes. Uh, also, I think... Like, disclaimer, given what else we've talked about this episode, like this podcast, it is hosted by two white women. Mm. It is from the point of view of white women. There is a dog on it. <laughs> and there is a dog on it, like A in white this one. dog. <laughs> nah, he's fixed. Um, but he, not he, they, I do think they do a good job of acknowledging that and being intersectional. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could do a better job, but so could we. Yep. And um, they also... I have said, I've said women a lot when talking about them, as I do when talking about all of these things, but they do specify that while this is, they concentrate on the effect of these things on women and femme-identifying people, it's for all feminists. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say, uh, oh, I wish I could remember the exact phrasing, but their definition of feminism a feminist is someone who doesn't think that being a woman is a disease or moral failing. <laughs> <laughs> a moral failure. That's so funny. Uh, uh, but, you know, so terrible. all of these things affect all people, especially all people who care about, mm-hmm. who do not think being a woman is a disease or a moral, moral failure. But is you've listened to two episodes. Did Was there anything that like struck you? I loved her personal story, Amelia, about how... Uh, stress and not accepting her emotions has led to a series of increasingly difficult medical things in her life, starting with tonsils, then going to her heartburn, then going to her stomach, and now endometriosis, like going down the tract. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was so interesting. And then I started to think about some health issues I've had in the last few years. Um, And I, I really liked their alternating <clears throat> stories with facts. I'm looking at your notes now, and mm-hmm. I thought the section about crying was really valuable. Uh, and this is a, a tip we'll take from them to give to you, our listeners. When you're crying, don't try to stop yourself from crying. Yeah. You are cutting yourself off from the, from the thing the crying is trying to do, which is c- help complete the stress response cycle. Yes. Once you cry yourself out and calm down, your body calms down, your chemicals calm mm-hmm. down, and you... I think by not trying to stop crying, you're letting your body know that it is safe to release all those emotions. And when you try to stop crying, you're sending your body the signal that like, there's some reason I need to be on my guard right, right. now. And there, nobody cries forever. You will <laughs> not cry forever. Let yourself cry. Uh, this happened recently. Mm-hmm. I cried quite a bit. And then I felt tremendously better <laughs> and was able to sleep very well. But the stressor itself had not changed at all. No, not at all. <laughs> Uh, um so yeah also uh the flip side of that another just another wonderful way to complete the stress response cycle is real laughter yes not canned social laughter but uh uncontrollable uh impulsive laughter to something that is an emotion oh someone described something once, and I wish I could remember, they, they put crying and laughing in the same category of uh, emotion so abundant that your human body can't contain them. Ugh, abundance. <laughs> but they, it yeah, is yeah, like... Yeah. I had a moment like that a few days ago with my improv team, and I couldn't 
none of us could contain ourselves. We couldn't look at each other. We couldn't, we could only <laughs> just like lean on a wall for support. It was so funny. It was a, the real best. Yep. Uh, so check it out. Yeah. So, uh, I will certain. I can't stop. So you'll probably hear more of me regurgitating things they've said. Yeah. It's good use of the medium. All right. We are at <whistles> Wilf Whistle. Uh, we had a brief moment before we started about why we do the Wilf Whistle. Why yeah. do we ask a que- an unanswered question at the end of the podcast? <laughs> why do we do very, it? It's a very Jewish thing to do, really, to <laughs> ask a question with no answer. Um, well, we want to uh, manifest them answering this question mm-hmm. on Instagram in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in the process of asking it, well, in the process of like thinking of my question, I realized, like, oh, this is something I wish to answer for myself. Something I want to examine within myself. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it seems to me to be in the attitude of the Wilfs that you don't end on a conclusion as if you know what's happening. You end on the next thing that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Follow that curiosity butterfly. Uh, So what what is your question this week for those Wilfs? Well, this is this came from the feminist survival pro- uh, project. Um, they talked about burnout mm-hmm. and haven't read that book, but it came up all the time in grad school in the in the field of counseling. It's a big mm-hmm. deal. Um, uh, empathy fatigue, um, and they talked about how wellness is not baths, bed, bath, and beyond. It's uh, it's a state of action, um, and it might. And I realized that it's so simple to think of like oh it's about like you know having quality time with friends yes important eating nourishing food yes important but it also means things like not entering onto your next career step before you're ready even if it's appealing even if it's there for you right um and i wonder so for me that includes things like uh i did not become a daily therapist as soon as i left grad school i am doing this other job that is intense but it is not counseling daily right so that in a couple years when i've matured more i am more capable of doing it mm-hmm. um and recognizing that yeah it'd be nice to have that money now or it'd be nice to you know be able to say firmly i'm a therapist, therapist. yeah but not if it's pulling at my insides and making me bleed sadness <laughs> <laughs> yeah not if it's perpetuating the what chain reaction of angst Ch- chain reaction of mental anguish um, uh, and so <laughs> <laughs> that's been coming up a lot <laughs> in this very apartment um and so i'm curious to the wolves uh what is something you wish you hadn't done career-wise mm. even though it seemed great at the time because it contributed to what you now realize is burnout and also what's something you've deliberately not done um because you knew that you weren't ready for it Wow. So. That's a great question. Yeah. Oh, I want, I want their they, posts. They appear productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I also know they probably have kind of personal sabbaticals. Elizabeth Gilbert does a lot of traveling. Mm-hmm. Time off. Mm-hmm. Layla Saad certainly does time off. She mm-hmm. posts about that. And they frequently post, I'm going off Instagram yeah. for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Adrian Marie Brown of um, Pleasure Activism and Emergent Strategy uh, is on a sabbatical right now, which mm. is so interesting. Um self-imposed like she doesn't Mm -hmm. she's not a professor she doesn't get that given to her she created that in her in her world right um and so yeah i i 
it feels like when I thought about that, it felt like a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, I don't have to be striving. <laughs> I am, yeah. I am doing the work by not doing the work. Yeah. Oh, and mm. you? Uh, also, uh, quickly, because I forgot something about um, the feminist survival project. Since we're still talking about it, is that they pitch it as uh, what they are offering to feminists to help them survive 2020 specifically. <laughs> Specifically, they're putting it out into the world yeah. for that purpose. So, if you feel like you need help with that, who me? Give your get get to, there's your resource. Oof. And what's your wolf whistle? Amy? My wolf whistle is um about making friends with new people, which is how do you become brave uh, in like asking people out on friend dates and and risking those sort of small vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, things. How do you push yourself to do those things? And also, how do you counteract self-sabotaging judgment of other people? Oh. Which is something, I think that is, as I have entered this whole new social world of Philadelphia for the last year and a half, the thing that has kept me most from building a community is how ready I am to judge other people as maybe not the friend I want to make. To be fair, there are a lot of doofuses in the world. <laughs> And they don't not exist in Philadelphia or in your graduate classes. Oh, yeah. In the variety of social worlds I've dipped my toes into. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. How do you... Yeah. How do you quiet that long enough to really get to know someone? This is a bonus wolf question. This is a question Uh I asked you yesterday is... Uh, we have complicated female friendships in our lives. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of female friendship is complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful and... Strange, yeah. Do they have friends that they sigh about when they get a text from or or leave interactions from saying, what kind of a person am I in that relationship? Uh, do they have friends who they think can't kind of can't stand them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do they feel too... Yeah. Do they feel but like... But they hold on to it for a whole variety of reasons. Yeah. Because, you know, people are always like, you know, if you've got a toxic relationship in your life, get out of it. You know, get rid of the things that aren't serving you. I'm like, yeah, but also like phases of the moon, you know, phases of the friendship. Exactly. <laughs> also phases of the moon. I, I don't think you could have said that better. <laughs> Waxing and waning. Aren't we all yeah. mincies? Mm. <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll try to be back before a month passes, but you know what? We're all we're all doing what we can. Yep. No need to burn out. Jumping well. Uh-huh. And then we're-